Hi, my name's Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bite Back. According to Small Business Genius, 62% of US billionaires are self-made. I think it goes without saying that more than 62% of us would like to be billionaires, but coming up with a genius business idea and implementing it can be a daunting task. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be joined by a veteran entrepreneur and the founder of Grow Academy, a self-paced on-demand startup academy that helps individuals turn their ideas into big businesses from concept to launch using a customized startup action plan. Brian Janesko. We'll discuss what makes a good business idea, how anyone can turn an idea into a business, and what the greatest hurdles budding entrepreneurs face when they start out. And for our Weird Wide Web piece, we have a story about a US man who refused to decrypt his hard drives, but is now free after four years in jail. Disclosure, this episode includes a client of an Espacio portfolio company. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. How are you? Good. Good. Do you have any questions before we get started? Um, no, I, we, you know, we were, you know, we downloaded the, your, your podcast and it, you've got some really interesting, if not diverse subjects um, that you talk about. So um, just very interested to learn more about, you know, your why for, for doing this. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So I suppose I'm just naturally a very inquisitive person. My degree was in psychology, but I've been working in technology for all of my um, professional life after graduating. So the two have been very intertwined and I've been writing a lot in the past for startups and for technology and naturally my love for psychology and it has always creeped in. But the truth is I, I feel that I'm a better presenter than I'm a writer. I do enjoy writing, but I wouldn't say it's a natural talent of mine, whereas I feel like I gravitate towards presenting more. And also I love the fact that when it comes to presenting, I can have really interesting conversations with people, which I can't really quite translate into writing as well as I would like to. So really like I spend a lot of my time on the internet. I'm on Reddit a lot, I'm on YouTube a lot. I'm, and I just see so many documentaries and topics that inspire me. And I just always have questions. So um, yeah, just very inquisitive. Oh, all right, great. I like that. Awesome, thank you. It's, it's really nice to have that that kind of feedback a lot of the time most people i think they listen to a few episodes but just to really see that or understand the diversity that we cover here is it's nice to see that that's uh been picked up on where are you in the world are you in new york at the moment yeah we are nice. we are in new york are you from there i am from i grew up in wisconsin my mother is from ipswich in suffolk in the uk but i spent a lot of time there and well technically i am british and and american so i have dual citizenship but uh, I have resided and I live in New York for about 20 years now. I know I'm probably going to lose some listeners for saying this, but I do love New York and uh, probably more so than L.A. <laughs> if you um, yeah, if you want to introduce yourself with your full name and what you do for our listeners, that would be great, Brian. Yeah, great. My name is Brian Janesco and I am a entrepreneur, innovator and CEO. I have been in the social venture space, mission-based startup world for about 15 years now um, after pioneering the direct-to-consumer fresh meal delivery business here in the United States. And uh, since then, I have been advising and helping emerging entrepreneurs get going, helping them to start up smart because we know that uh, starting a business isn't an easy thing to do and often people aren't sure where to go first. And so Everything I've done since selling my first business to Nutrisystem in a, in a multi-million dollar transaction, I have either co-founded or launched businesses 
that I like to think are transformational for those who I serve. Excellent. What was uh, what was your first business? Uh, the first business was called New Kitchen. And as I mentioned, it, it was a pioneering business model uh, in fresh meal delivery. So it was a way to get healthy, portion-controlled organic meals delivered directly to your door. At the time, this is, gosh, 2004 when we uh, started test marketing this. Uh, it was my first time as an entrepreneur. It was my first time uh, launching a real business, especially an online model and a food model. So I had a lot of strikes against me, but uh, I was very passionate about the idea. And I, I did feel that the time was right to start bringing that type of, of, of model to life because as a time start professional, nutrition and healthy eating were taking a back seat to, you know, just trying to get ahead in the world. And so I really felt that at that moment was the time. And so after a couple of years of, of, of scrambling, making some startup mistakes, but also doing enough things right, we were able to raise a couple million in venture capital, ultimately scaling the business uh, and then selling it to Nutrisystem. So it was a great five-year trajectory from start to finish. And um, But what, what it really taught me was the power of being able to not just start a business, but to help people to do something that I believe was transformational. Helping people eat well was one thing, but helping people realize their potential through healthier living was an even bigger reward. And that is what helped me uh, on my path to really focusing on on helping people be the best they can in, in whatever it is that I'm doing. I get that. You mentioned about like, obviously, you made some mistakes. And I think that's one thing which I see from all entrepreneurs is that they do make errors on the way. And I think the one of the best things about someone like yourself sharing knowledge is that other people don't have to make the same mistakes that previous entrepreneurs have they can learn from like your mistakes have you found that have you been able to like help others not make the same mistakes you perhaps did in your early entrepreneur career uh, absolutely but I, I think what really it comes back to uh is is the mindset you know i think of some of the more common hurdles that people have that prevents them from getting a business off the ground really is the mindset and when i say mindset passion and purpose are are really at the heart of this. Passion is what actually gets you going while purpose is what keeps you going. And when I think of an aspiring entrepreneur, or as I'd like to think of a wantrepreneur, someone in that idea stage who you know daydreams about starting a business, they're usually lacking in one or both of these. And while the idea of, of starting a business is exciting, which is your passion, the actual process can be daunting in terms of what you do, especially in the beginning. Uh, and this is where your purpose will keep you going because you believe that you've got a great idea and you'll continue to take action uh, and pivot so that you can turn that dream into a, a reality. And so it's along that journey, that uh, purpose piece of the journey, if you will, of, of turning that dream into a reality, that there's a lot of learnings, I think, if someone is open to it, if their mind is open to listening to others' experiences and learning from them, uh, I think you do stand a much, much bigger chance of, of success. Um, I'm certainly happy to get into specific examples of, of, of those learnings, but overall, I really think, you know, one of the more common hurdles is this uh, idea of mindset. And um, like mindset aside, if someone does think like, okay, I'm going to start doing this, what other hurdles do you think that people most commonly face that maybe stop them from getting into a business when they do feel they discover they, there's something they're passionate about that they'd like to bring to real life? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, bringing it more into tactical realm here, there's that initial euphoric bump that you get when you first have this idea and you may be sketching it out on the proverbial cocktail napkin, but then the reality sets in about what to do next which is usually a Google search. So the first hurdle, I think, first major stopping you know, gap there is 
if you type how to start a business in Google, you're going to get about 9.5 billion results. <laughs> so the idea of where do you begin, you know, you start feverishly clicking on all links that will hopefully tell you everything that you need to know about your idea. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So figuring out what to do first and whether it's writing a plan, do you incorporate, do you test market, do you hire a team? What do you do first and what is that path and how do you plan for that launch? So that's hurdle number one. I think a lot of people get discouraged. Now, if you are able to make it through that um, and, and just try to get the right kind of guidance that can help you uh, sort of navigate those initial startup hurdles, the next big hurdle uh, we all hear about is funding. Where do I get the money to make this happen? This often turns into a chaotic, if not a frenetic search for hitting up friends and family for money, even pitching professional investors like VCs, which I think is a really, really bad idea that really rarely results in getting money at this early stage. And I believe that leaves people utterly discouraged, which comes back to the to the mindset. But really the idea of where to start, number one, and then number two, getting the funding, those are two major roadblocks that prevent people from getting an idea off the ground. I, I can share my own experience. I, I started raising capital about 15 years ago for uh, New Kitchen, which again was a pioneering new business model where I actually didn't have any experience. And I think I asked maybe 100 people for investment and got literally 100 no's. That was uh, very discouraging, but as a first-time entrepreneur, in an unproven market with an untested product. It was essentially an idea that was embedded in a 70-page business plan that you know, with an accompanying PowerPoint deck that in retrospect, it was just a big old academic research paper, which might have been fine at NYU where I went to business school, but not at all grounded in reality. Ultimately, what shifted the tide was I had to listen to the feedback that I was that was hearing from potential investors. And I had to change the approach I took in, in thinking about how I execute on this idea. And my business partner and I were able to, to fund a little bit in those early days. And so our, our philosophy was, let's, let's fund a little to learn a lot. Let's create an MVP so that prospective customers could, could provide feedback. And it was with that initial MVP that people could literally see, touch, and taste the product. And because of that, I was able to secure some friends and family funding, which actually enabled us to get going in a meaningful way. And I was comfortable enough at that point to quit my day job at Morgan Stanley and make the leap into entrepreneurship. So you made uh, an MVP, which is a minimal viable product, right? Correct. You made that for your business. Correct. Would you be able to give some examples of like how other people can test their MVPs? Because obviously, if you've got a product, that's one line, but it might be a service, it might be an app. There's so many possibilities of what it could be. Yeah. If like someone doesn't have a product, what other examples are there of uh, MVPs? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to, to think about it. I, I don't care what you're offering, whether it's an an online app, not that the world needs another dating app, but let's say you've got some unique way of, of, of you know, finding the perfect mate for you. Um, <laughs> and you really think it's something novel and unique. You know, there's a lot of easy, simple to use downloadable tools that can help you wireframe this out. Uh, so you can at least present a view of how it might look, how it might feel. Obviously, a lot of folks don't have a lot of money to invest in the beginning, and, and that's the case with the majority of people. So finding some way to present visually uh, your, your, your service is going to be really critical. So I think that's one way to, to think about it. And then you, you reach out to prospective clients. Don't ask your friends necessarily. Certainly don't ask your mother because they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're either going to love it or hate it. It's not your, your target market. Find people from your target market to weigh in and to give you the feedback so then you can modify. And then with that, you'll actually have something that you can demonstrate that there may be a there there. 
Um, so that's for an online type uh, application. In the case of an actual service that you're offering, so if you're going to offer a concierge service or something very basic, at that point, you just actually do what it is that you're doing and get some testimonials from people and showcase and demonstrate through a presentation, you know, what it is that you're offering. And I think those are real simple ways. Now, if you have a more complicated product, like if you're actually, you know, a, a data scientist, you have some kind of, you know, an AI tool or program, obviously it's going to be very difficult to build an MVP. But in that case, I still would advocate for building, you know, sketching out the framework, creating um, PDFs, uh, some kind of visual flow of what it is you're going to do and what the outputs could potentially be. And, and I think that's a minimum that you're going to need as a first step. And then, of course, securing a, a go-to market partner or some distribution network is going to be important for uh, showcasing, at least if you're trying to get investment, you need to demonstrate that there's people who actually pay for this product or who demonstrate an interest in using it. I got to say, I like the idea of MVPs mostly because ideas in general seem to be something that are very esoteric or just generally very hard to like encapsulate and i'm someone that likes like figures and numbers and like clear plans and i think that an mvp is like such a fantastic step from taking something which is just in the air or just in your thoughts or just exactly as it is an idea and then it encapsulates it into something which you can physically see understand and and potentially sell and I also think that sometimes, though, it can be hard to objectively look at what your business idea is, because obviously when people think they have a good idea or they're absolutely in love with an idea, it can be hard to objectively be like, oh, actually, maybe this isn't a good idea. So what would you say are some red flags that your business idea might not actually be a good idea and that maybe you've kind of just fallen in love with an idea that's not actually that profitable or desirable? Well, it's a, it's a great question, and, and honestly, it I think there while there is black and white, there's some definite you know could be binary like this is really a bad idea, but I think most ideas are grounded in the fact that you're looking for a solution, or you think you've you're you're solving a, a problem. So I think they're typically grounded in something. The root is something meaningful, but there's a lot of gray area. You know that's why we developed the Grow Academy or Grow X tool, which is a free uh, online tool to validate your idea. So part of the mission that we have is allowing people to go through, whether you're a solopreneur, just, you know, Sam, you've got this great idea and you just want to see how can I get a little more clarity around the idea to see if there is a market, if there is an opportunity, go to GrowX and enter your information in. And at the end, you can validate if this is really something that you should pursue, at least at a high level. So I think that's a great first step, number one. But getting into specific red flags, you know, I think their primary one is, is anyone actually going to engage or buy the product? That's the biggest thing, right? Because a lot of people will, will smile and say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea and pat you on the back, maybe but that's not helpful for you. So at least with an MVP, you can gauge interest, you can engage in theory, depending on how far along your MVP, if it's actually working, even better, obviously a product, whether it's a food product or consumer product or health and wellness product, you know, you can actually test that a little bit more rigorously. But if someone's willing to pay for it, number one, if they're not, that, that's bad. Number two, if someone's in a highly competitive market, again, let's take the dating app as an example. I'm not sure why I'm using dating app. I haven't been on one in many, many years, but um, that's a very competitive and, and, and fragmented market. And for you to actually gain any kind of traction, you've got to be doing something so unique and different. And if you've never started a business before and you don't have a lot of experience in the space, you're going to have a really hard time 
trying to make this happen. So you should really rethink if, if this is something you want to do. And, and really another big red flag is what's your personal situation? It's fine if you say, hey, I want to build a rocket ship to Mars because we, we talk about it as a society, but we still haven't gotten there. But unless you are co-founders with Elon Musk, the chances of that happening are, are, are pretty slim. So I would stay away from anything that's like that because it, unless you've got that relationship with Elon or you're sitting on a big trust fund or you've got a lot of capital to invest, it's not going to happen. So think about the reality of the idea that you have and try to hone it in so that it is something that's relatively achievable that you and a small team can actually start to think about executing. I, I completely understand. And um, don't worry, I don't have any ideas of going to Mars or building rocket ships. All my ambitions are pretty minimal. <laughs> I'm sure you've got some great ideas. <laughs> I actually, it's funny you should mention that because one of the things I was, I was really looking forward to talking to you about is I have some experience in this in the sense that, so I'm, I'm 26 now, but when I was 22, I worked for a technology company in sales and I had an idea for a business, uh, for an app. Yeah. And I, I had no exposure to the startup world. I didn't even know what like MVP was. Uh, I didn't know about startups. I had no knowledge about this. But I got speaking to a coworker, like a friend of mine, and she was leaving the company to start her own business. And she had just been on an accelerator for her business. And uh, I told her my idea for this app and she loved it. She thought it was like great. And she was like, if you want, we can help like coach you and we'll see if you can get accepted onto this accelerator. And I worked with them and they they are the founders of now a very successful company in the UK, True Start Coffee. And they have done so well. And they, in the early days, they helped me, like, encourage me, get my elevator pitch, get my plan, nail down, like, everything. And I applied for this accelerator and I was accepted. And I was part of this accelerator to bring this idea, this startup business to life. However, I was at a crossroads in my life because I was... I was 22 and I was thinking I'd always have amb had ambitions to travel the world and live abroad for a number of years. And I remember watching um, a talk and I remember watching this and it was like a co-founder of Facebook and they said like you need to or you should dedicate or you understand that if you're going to fully start a business that it probably will take up like the next five to 10 years of your life and you'll be working really hard to, to push that. And I came to a decision of like, do I want to spend my 20s working on this business plan or working in startups or working to build a company or do I want to maybe focus on building a company later in my life and the one thing which really stuck with me is that I was like the youngest person by far there at the time like I said I was 22 and most of the people around me were like in their 30s in the accelerator and in the end I decided to quit the accelerator and I gave up my idea for the business and I decided to go off and live abroad and travel. I now live in Colombia and I got to say the time I spent traveling and the time I've spent the years I spent living abroad here have changed me as a person to make me someone who is way more confident and way more secure in my abilities and my knowledge and I've grown a lot so I definitely feel like it was the right thing for me to do however I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me which was very very curious to almost jump into an alternative reality of where I made that decision to go down that path because I'm still involved in the startup world I still love writing about startups talking to you about this and found it really interesting but it kind of leads me on to my next question do you think that there is a perfect time in a person's life to start a business like when they're young with more energy or when they're older with more experience or before or after during university is there a time when you think this is the most opportune moment to bring a business to life 
The time is now, Sam. I'm always a big fan of, of the present. And so what I mean by that is, well, first, congratulations on leaving and traveling and getting the experience because obviously that was the right decision for you at that moment. Thank you. And the good news is, because of the experience you've gained and because of the knowledge, because of the work that you're doing, should you decide to go back in, you always can. You hit it on the head when you just said, you don't always have to be the person starting the business. You can join a startup team. You can still be part of something. If you're very risk averse, don't join something in the seed stage. Wait till it's fully funded um, and it's growing. You can still participate in an early stage business. You can still get equity. Um, you're just a little bit later, which is which is fine. So there's different ways to play in this space. And, and so I think it's, it's great to really understand where it is you are in your life and timing is everything. So specifically, you ask questions like, should I do it when I'm young, in school, out of school, older? And again, I, I do believe if you think you've got a great idea and you've really just done some initial vetting, the time is now. You owe it to yourself to at least validate and vet the idea. The idea of an accelerator is phenomenal. And there are so many different types of accelerators. And what I love about that model is they are hyper-verticalized. So if you're starting a restaurant, a food business, a tech business, doesn't matter what type of business you're starting, there are accelerators in most major cities in the country that are helping to address that. And what do these accelerators do? They help you further clarify your idea how to create that three, five, 20 minute pitch. And then if you're really good, if you're committed to that, they'll help you potentially meet with investors so that you can pitch and potentially get money to make it happen. So I think there's some great opportunities there. I do think that the idea of, you know, as you get older in life, you may get a mortgage, you may get kids, you become a little more risk averse. So while you gain in wisdom and knowledge, you sort of lose that uh, effervescence, that energy that you have at 22 versus 42. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's funny because I had this idea when I started that I was like, right, I'm young. I've got the advantage. Like if it, if it fails or if things mess up, then I've got time. I can figure this out. And I definitely feel that like it, I have come to realize that, like you said, you can always get back into it. And the one thing which I love about the startup community, which has encouraged me to stay within it, or at least given me a desire to constantly stay in contact with it is that it's so positive And that I find that of all the industries, it's one of those industries where even though, yes, it is competitive and like it is about business and competition, everybody is so encouraging because I think at the core of it isn't the idea of my business can be better than anyone else's or I'm going to make more money than anyone else. It's the idea that people want to solve problems and bring ideas to life. And one of the one of the people that did coach me over the my, my two friends from back home, the founders of True Start Coffee, one of them said that the thing that he liked about my idea and that I was trying is it's not that you're trying to take a dollar from everyone. It's that you're trying to give a dollar's worth of value to everyone. And that to me really stuck with me because I think that's one thing that I see in the startup community is like the majority of people working in it, they're not trying to take a dollar from everyone. They're trying to give a dollar or more's worth of value to them and their lives and essentially like solve problems. You hit the nail on the head in terms of two, two immediate thoughts. One is we always should strive to create more value, give more value than we take. That's a fundamental premise that I've, I've come to know and love. And so I think we really need to, to hone in on that. And number two, we have to recognize that, you know, we're trying to solve problems. And so we think about the business model of today and, and, and certainly the future is impact. Businesses have to have impact. And what I mean by impact is 
Um, there's multiple models out there that have give back models. I'm not saying you should start a nonprofit. As a matter of fact, I think we should be striving for creating for-profit models that can serve what were traditionally uh, nonprofit issues, whether it's hunger, whether it's uh, food, homelessness, or a number of things that we can address through businesses, um, helping entrepreneurs get going. I think through for-profit initiatives, even take Grow for an example. Um, you know, the folks here that we have aligned on the team all believe in helping entrepreneurs get going. So we have a, an inherent give back model that's built into the DNA of our business. And I think business models of today and in the future are going to have to have that. And so it isn't just about the dollar. I do think as a result of it, you are going to become profitable and you will be here for the long term. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying throw profit out the window, but if you let profit be your sole motivator, as was the case for companies for decades, if you look at Fortune 500, they were managing to the quarter. And now these guys can't innovate, innovate their way out of a paper box. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the idea of what we're doing here is, is you, you really hit it on the head with trying to create something that has impact and creating more value than you take. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. If there are people listening to this and they're like, you know what, I'm feeling inspired, Brian, Sam, you, you got my creative juices flowing. What resources and information would you recommend that the uh, listeners check out uh, to get them started on this journey? Yeah, I, I think there are a few things that uh, entrepreneurs should really assess. First, uh, we'll, we'll take it a little higher level and, and I can just chat about that for a second too. I'll come back to that, but really assess the level of passion that you have. I have a lot of ideas for what I think could be great businesses, but I'm really not into that. I, I really, you know, I'm not passionate about them. And, and unless you're passionate, you're going to find many ways to, to leave, to cut out, to quit. So save yourself the headache, heartache of uh, <laughs> don't even go down that path. So really assess your passion and make sure you really are excited about the problem you're solving or the solution you have. Uh, I don't care what it is, um, something seemingly simple or something complex. But if it's a passion, that's a great, great place to start. So let that be your guiding force, your, your principle. Because again, it's that passion that's going to get you going. Number two, I think, uh, as, as you did, find mentors, find guides. People can help you on this journey that may come in the form of going to an accelerator and through that accelerator, the folks who are working there, the folks, you know, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and other established networkers are going to be in that space. And so they can help you. But I, I'd also like to say, if someone's going to help you, if someone is going to, you know, if you're going to reach out to someone cold, always offer to help them. Just a pet peeve of mine is when someone emails or, you know, sends something to me on LinkedIn and says, hey, I've got a great idea for a business. Do you mind if we meet up for a cup of coffee so I can pick your brain? That is absolutely the worst thing. And I don't respond to that personally. What I would like to see is someone who does a little bit of diligence, tries to connect dots. Rarely do I ask them for anything, but if they actually do that or try to create value, I inevitably will have a call or meet with them. So I just like to frame that a little bit more. Um, that, that's very tactical, but the higher level purpose of this is really finding mentors and guides, whether it's an accelerator or people who are seasoned leaders, uh, business experts that can help you on the journey and they can better help you assess and, and model out this idea so that you can get going. And then finally, if it's self-serving or not, I just think try Grow X. It's, you know, you come out with a free one-page business brief. Ultimately, this brief, you can socialize that with potential stakeholders, investors, or partners, but it, it can serve as a great way for you to crystallize your idea and then do a short little test to see if now is the time you should be starting a business. 
So I think those are really the three things. Ultimately, we will be starting an online accelerator. We're not there yet, but as a business, we're going to be doing that. And so in the future, that will be an option for people who do decide they want to take the leap and, and join some kind of community. I think Grow will offer a very compelling self-paced on-demand tool to help them turn that idea into a business. But uh, whether it's us or somebody else, I do think that is a, a, those are three great ways to, to think about next steps. First, assess your passion to find mentors, people who can guide you, and then three, try tools like GrowX. And I, I don't know of too many other tools. I don't know of any other tools out there like that, but it's free and it can help you get going. All right, it sounds like a good place to start, definitely. And it sounds like you guys at Grow Academy, obviously, you know what you're talking about from from this conversation, I can tell it's like built on like solid knowledge of the industry. But I think it's worth noting, while I may have been the catalyst for this, you know, we are in a, a pretty interesting environment backed by Michael Loeb and Rich Vogel. And, you know, these are the guys who had co-founded Priceline. They had built multiple billion dollar businesses. And so we are, we work with them and there are, um, you know, they're uh, advisors to us. They're financial backers of the business. Um, they've really helped us get going, but we have access through this venture studio model to literally hundreds, if not thousands of business leaders, entrepreneurs, seasoned experts. So we're really plugged into the community. So again, while I may have been the catalyst because this particular business has been a personal mission of mine for, for several years now, we are now plugged into a very seasoned and experienced proven network of entrepreneurs. Well, I hope if anyone is listening to this and they do believe that they have an idea or they have some way of making the world better, then I hope that they do take these first steps. And I hope that the knowledge that you've shared today leads to something great, really. But uh, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this. And this has been, uh, for me, a really enjoyable subject because usually when I host these podcasts, they're about topics which I don't know too much about. And I just go into them just with questions. But it's been really nice having a conversation where I can actually keep up <laughs> for a change. <laughs> Sam, compared to the other topics that you discussed, this is, you know, this is much more conversational. And so I, I really appreciate the opportunity because I know that uh, you get into some pretty meaty subjects and some really important subjects that are, are game changing in this world. But uh, I'm, I'm happy that you, you know, invited me to, to speak with you today. And I, I do think that all of us have that spark in us. And I think we all have the opportunity to at least explore that. We, we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the world. Um, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. My, my, my mantra uh, taken from Gandhi is be the change that you wish to see in the world. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's one of my favorites as well. I got to say that's, that's, that's a good one. And I think it perfectly encapsulates the, the mentality of the startup community. Yes. A hundred percent. If people do want to follow you and keep up with you, uh, what's the best way of doing that, Brian? Do you have any social media or website? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. We, we were Instagram, Facebook, um, and of course, our website, gro.academy. So it's grow, gro.academy, and you can find us under the same handle uh, on, on Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. Brian, thank you so much for today. It's been a real pleasure. This is great. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity, Sam. Be well. Weird Wide Web. This week, we have a story from The Inquirer that came out not too long ago regarding a Philadelphia man who has been freed after a federal appeals court ruled that his continued detention was violating federal law. 
Francis Rawls, who was a former police officer, was jailed in 2015 when a federal judge held him in contempt for failing to decrypt two hard drives taken from his home. Now, I would usually consider someone being freed as a suitable story for our good news feature. However, this case is not that straightforward. In 2015, law enforcement raided Rawls' home and seized two smartphones, a Mac laptop, and two hard drives. According to Ars Technica, prosecutors were able to gain access to the laptop and police say forensic analysis showed Rawls downloading child pornography and saving it to the external hard drives. But the drives themselves were encrypted, preventing the police from accessing the downloaded files. A judge ordered Rawls to decrypt the hard drives. However, Rawls stated that he could not remember the passwords necessary to decrypt the hard drives and entered several incorrect passwords during the forensic examination. That's it for today's episode. I hope you found it as enjoyable as I did. And if you want more of this, then you can go to our website at sociable.co where you'll find all our podcasts. And in addition to our website, you can also find us on YouTube. Just search Brains Bite Back and you should find our channel, The Sociable, which you can subscribe to there. Alternatively, you can follow us on Spotify or iTunes and we are now on Stitcher. So if you use Stitcher for your podcast, then fantastic because you'll find us there. Until next time, take care.